all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. <laughs> I'm Rachel. I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch at All Bad Things Pod. Email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord. Do all of those things in that order. <laughs> what are you drinking? We're d- drinking unusual things today. I'm having a uh, Starbucks Triple Shot Energy. Mm. That's what you need at 7 p.m., huh? That's what everybody needs. <laughs> Yes. Well, your 7 p.m. is really like most, most people's, people's noon. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that when you usually have your lunch? Uh, I usually have like around 8, but yeah. Okay. It's in that in that wheelhouse. So this is brunch time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hence the Starbucks. I am drinking a GT's Synergy Raw Kombucha Gingerade. Yum. <laughs> have you ever tried it? I don't think so. You want to try it? I don't like kombucha, though. Let's see. Oh, God, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> it's not good at all. What does it taste like to you? A lot of ginger, mm-hmm. and, like, that's it. But you like ginger. But not that much. It doesn't taste like vinegar to you? A lot of people say kombucha oh, tastes God, like maybe vinegar. maybe it does. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty nasty, whatever it is. <laughs> kombucha does take a little getting used to. Or just don't try it at all. I guess that, that's another option. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so where doth we be at? Where doth we be at? Listener script. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, listeners. Yes. Very much. You keep this whole operation afloat. <laughs> so, today's script comes courtesy of Haley B., who has written scripts for us before. Mm-hmm. And this is the story, getting back to our bread and butter... Of Eastern Airlines Flight 401. Oh, man. Yep. Time for a plane crash. It's been a little while, hasn't it? It has been. But we both flew relatively recently, so there's a reason for that. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Uh, To the Midwest and back. Yes. That we did. And uh, for some reason had to go through New York, which makes no sense, but... Yeah, that it made little sense. Yes. But maybe that's just how they do the routes. I don't know. They routes, go through Charlotte routes. a lot from here, but we just... Well, I didn't get those flights, which was super annoying, but... I got I got one of them. And we're back. <laughs> <laughs> we had to give Litter Robot a chance to... To robot yes. the litter. <laughs> Trying to upstage us. Yes, apparently. <laughs> so, yes, Eastern Airlines Flight 401 uh, by Haley. So, I'm procrastinating writing my essays for grad school applications, so you guys get another script. Thank, Thank you, you, Haley. Yes. <laughs> yes. Good to know your always. education is suffering. <laughs> yes. For the entertainment value of our show. Right. For our benefit. Yes. This focuses on Eastern Airlines Flight 401 with brief appearances by gangrene, gators, and ghosts. This sounds um, fun. No. My sources include the ever-lovely Wikipedia, the NTSB report, and some newspaper articles from the Sun Sentinel in Florida. I know of the Sun Sentinel, Mm -hmm. that's for sure. 
So Eastern Airlines Flight 401 was a scheduled flight from JFK in New York City to Miami International on December 29th, 1972. So this would have all been happening when my parents were teenagers, young teenagers. Mm -hmm. Probably wouldn't remember it, but... The flight was operated using a Lockheed L-1011 TriStar, a plane which had been delivered to Eastern Airlines in August of the same year. The flight was under the command of Captain Robert Bob Albin Loft, age 55. Captain Loft had been with the airline for 32 years and had accumulated a total of 29,700 flight hours throughout his flying career, with 280 of those in the L-1011. His flight crew included First Officer Albert John Burt Stockstill, 39, who had 5,800 hours of flying experience, with 306 of them on the L-1011, and Flight Engineer Donald Lewis Don. It might be repo or repo, but... Hmm. If it was Repo, you could be the Repo Man. <laughs> yeah. 51. That, that movie wasn't out yet in 1972. What is it about? Because I've never seen it. I only know the name. Man, I haven't seen it. In a, it's about a Repo Man, um, played what? by Emilio Estevez. Like, literally goes around repoing cars for uh, for dealerships? Uh, or I think lenders? that's how it starts out, and then he repos, like, the wrong car from, like, the, the gangster or something. Man, I haven't seen oh, that Was it like Judgment Night, but with a repossession of a vehicle? Yeah, but much cooler than that. <laughs> yeah, Judgment Night, after we rewatched it, I was like, nah, yeah. No wonder, it, no wonder a lot of people didn't see it. I really loved it as a kid, I can say that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I probably haven't seen Repo Man since I was like 15 or something like that. So he, like, gets in trouble because of who he tries to repo a vehicle think, from? Yeah, if I remember correctly. Okay. My dad had to repo vehicles... Uh, when he worked for a used car lot. <laughs> but that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, he had some interesting stories to tell from yeah. that. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> um, the, the guy who ran the lot, too, was, like, super shady. So, yeah. yeah they used, had to do a lot of repos. Used car lot. Exactly. <laughs> you had to, to be super shady just to consider, like, owning one. Yeah, kind of. All right, so Don Repo, or Repo, 51, who had set 15,700 hours of flying experience with 53 of them in the L-1011. Another occupant of the cockpit was an Eastern Airlines maintenance specialist who sat in the cockpit as an unticketed passenger. There were 176 occupants total, with 163 passengers and 13 crew members. The flight departed JFK at 9.20 p.m. Eastern Time. The L-1011 was the third wide-body jet to enter the commercial operations following the Boeing 747 and the McDonnell Douglas DC-10. The plane has a seating capacity of 400 passengers, with a fuselage wide enough for two passenger aisles. Eastern was a major U.S. airline from 1926 to 1991. See, I yeah, I know we've um, we either have talked about Eastern Airlines in the past, or it's like have. on a yeah. But they definitely are not operating now, mm -mm. and I don't remember Eastern. Do you remember Eastern Airlines? I don't remember them specifically, no. I mean, if they ended in 91, we both would have been around by then, but kids, so... Wouldn't have been flying all that much. Mm-hmm. I think by that time in my life, I'd flown, like, once. Well, how, when was your first flight? Uh, when we went to Disney World, I was, like, nine. Okay. So it would have been, I guess, like, 1986. Okay. 
You can still smoke in a plane. Remember, <laughs> That's I, right. I you that. said that. Yep. That's funny. I do remember that. Um, my I think I was around five, four or five, so it was probably like nine, 1990-ish. And I definitely don't remember anybody smoking. I think it probably had kicked no. In I, it was it was starting to go out like, like when I was flying. I remember that first time. But you could still like yeah. There was a could. whole section of the plane that like smoke them if you got them, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, it's only a tube flying through the sky. Like, right. What could go wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I noticed. So I was in the bathroom of one of the planes coming back from St. Louis. And I noticed that there was, like, a little ashtray in the bathroom. Like, it was, like, one of those things that they pops used out. To, uh, and yeah. it shows us, like, a little cigarette icon. Mm-hmm. I was like, how old is this fucking plane? Or that particular uh, restroom. Because they you used uh, to... Uh, like, they could have removed it from something. Yeah, yeah I guess. That's they, true. I mean, even up to, like, the early 2000s, they still had the seats that had, like, ashtrays in them. Like, regular passenger oh, seats. Oh, how funny. But I mean, obviously you couldn't smoke by then. But yeah, right. the, the seats still had the ashtray. It's like, it's like nowadays I don't even, I can't even remember the last time I've seen like a car that has a lighter in it. You oh, know that's what I mean? true. Or, yeah. an, or an ashtray. Uh huh. It's like those are things that are just gone. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, cigarette lighters and cars. The yeah. the funny little electric electronic things. Yeah, I can't I can't tell you the last time I saw one in there. How weird. Yeah. But uh, imagine trying to uh, imagine trying to convince the public to quit smoking in public nowadays. Would the political climate be like? Oh Jesus! <laughs> We're just lucky that it happened before. We're just ha- lucky that it happened before right wing media took a hold of everything. <laughs> I mean, when I, I still remember, like when I played hockey growing up in the in the lobby, like in between periods mm-hmm. at intermission, like you'd go out there to. Like get a sip of water or something like that from the fountain, uh-huh. and just all the parents are just fucking lighting it up, like, <laughs> <laughs> like there's no tomorrow. Funny, <laughs> yeah, man. Um, so Eastern also became Disney World's official airline when the park opened in 1971. That's interesting. <laughs> While Florida features many major theme parks, it is also home to the. Florida Everglades. Yes, it is. And the Florida Everblades. <laughs> That's true. The, the Everblades. Uh huh. Little plug there, there for uh, the uh, the family's uh, interest, financial interest. Yes. <laughs> for one employee, anyway. Yes. <laughs> uh, located in the southern portion of the state, the Everglades are an area of tropical wetlands, host to many native species of plants and animals. Though the marshy land of sawgrass, sorry, through the marshy land of sawgrass, that's hard to say, marshy land of sawgrass, anyway, you can find alligators, black bears, oh, oh, yep. Really? What? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I was gonna say. No, I was messed up on, like, my lines, but no, it says black bears, really? which I didn't know. In Florida? Apparently. Didn't know that. That's, yeah, that's news to me. And the endangered Florida panther, I did know that. Sure. Other highlights of the swamp plant include snapping turtles, water moccasins, and other reptiles known to be venomous to humans. Yeah. However, this area is also home to invasive species like the Nile crocodile and Burmese pythons. For more information on those critters, listen to episode 105. It was that long ago that we covered that. That's like four years ago now. It is four years ago. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Let's get back to the plane. The flight was routine until 11.32 p.m. when they began their approach to Miami. 
Upon lowering the landing gear, First Officer Stockstill noticed that the light that would typically indicate that the nose landing gear had been properly lowered and locked into place was still off. To try to fix the problem, the pilots brought the landing gear back up and tried to lower it again. The light still failed to illuminate. At 11.34, the flight notified Miami that they would have to circle the airport as they couldn't get their landing gear to function properly. The tower instructed EAL 401 to maintain 2,000 feet. At 11.36, the captain ordered the first officer to put the plane into autopilot while they tried to fix the landing gear. I'm not sure if I'm going to say his name right from now on. I'm just going to call him Don Repo because I think Repo is a pretty cool name. One, <laughs> one minute later, the captain turned around to tell the flight engineer, Don Repo, to go to the electronics bay to confirm the nose landing gear's position. This bay was directly underneath the cockpit in a small place pilots like to call the hellhole. <laughs> Sounds fun. And one could look out a small porthole to check on the bottom front of the plane. Repo got out of his seat and entered the hellhole, while the captain and first officer discussed possible solutions. Four minutes later, Repo's head emerged from the floor of the cockpit to say that he couldn't see the landing gear, no. as it was almost midnight and there was no moonlight to see by. At this point, the Eastern Airlines maintenance specialist decided to try his hand and see if he could help Repo see the landing gear. Did they not have a flashlight? I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll, maybe they'll or if they're looking out of like a little window, if you use a flashlight, it just reflect back at you. So maybe that's that's it. They both disappeared into the hellhole. That might be the best uh, sentence we've ever said. On that. <laughs> yeah, pretty good. This discussion would be some of the last words heard on the voice cockpit recorder mm. as the plane crashed into the Everglades almost immediately after. The plane was almost 20 miles away from the runway at MIA, Miami International Airport. Traveling at 227 miles per hour, the left wingtip oh, hit the ground first, followed by the left engine and left landing gear. So I guess they didn't know that they were... They had been told to, to stay at 2,000 feet, right. but clearly they were not. And no. they must have just not been able to see and didn't know. Well, it sounds like they might have had spatial... What, what is that when you're flying? Oh, uh, yeah, the blindness dis or disorientation. disorientation or... Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah. That was uh, JFK Jr. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what happened to him, yeah. Um, hmm. As the fuselage hit the swamp, it broke into four sections. Surrounded by soft mud and between 6 to 12 inches of water... Passengers, there were our living people, passengers began to panic and exit the airplane. Oh, jeez. I would not Into want... Into the ugh. fucking Everglades. It, in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, man. Uh, even though the area was incredibly dark, flight attendants instructed passengers not to light matches as they couldn't be sure there wasn't a fuel sure. leak. Yeah. Oh, to keep passengers calm and to hopefully attract rescuers, flight attendants began singing Christmas carols. And Haley says, sounds incredibly creepy to me, but who am I to judge? Yeah, it is a I'm... little... It's an interesting choice. Uh, what what, what date was this again? It was This was not Christmas. Oh, December 29th. So yes, it, it was near Christmas time. It would have been super random if it was like April and they were singing Christmas carols, but I guess... Yeah. It still does sound a little creepy, but... Yeah, very much so. The singing wasn't what attracted Bud Marquis and Ray Dickinson, two men frog hunting in their airboat. 
They witnessed the plane crash into the swamp and rushed to the scene. They were the first ones to make it to the wreckage and immediately began transporting injured passengers to safer areas of the swamp. Frank Borman, a former NASA astronaut and Eastern's senior vice president of operations, was awoken by a phone call stating a crash had occurred in the Everglades. Um, one of the other Everglades crashed. The value jet was our lost episode, an early lost say, episode. Was... <laughs> yeah. He chartered a helicopter to assist in the rescue operations and help transport three people to nearby hospitals. Most of the dead were located in the midsection of the plane, with the main cause of death being crush injuries. Inside the cockpit, only the maintenance specialists survived. More people would have died had the mud of the Everglades not softened the crash landing. Oh, sure. wow. Of course. Wouldn't have even thought of that. The mud helped in more ways than one. In fact, it blocked survivors' wounds, preventing them from bleeding to death. However, it caused gas gangrene in the long run. <laughs> yeah, because I was going to say mm. it's not good for mud to get in blood. Mm-hmm. Gas gangrene is caused by gas buildup inside a gangrenous wound. Some survivors had to be treated inside hyperbaric chambers to cure the condition. And they've got a lot of hyperbaric chamber uh, resources in South Florida. At least they do now. Hmm. But that was a big thing because there's a lot of people diving. So there can be decompression sickness and people have to go into the hyperbaric chamber or whatever. 75 people survived the crash, including eight of the 10 flight attendants. Investigators say the conditions of the swamp prevented a post-crash flat fire. So what happened? The plane gradually descended from its assigned 2,000 feet altitude as the pilots tried to find the problem with the nose landing gear. When it lost 250 feet from its assigned altitude, an alarm rang out at Don Repo's seat, but he was already in the hellhole. The alarm was quiet enough that no one else acknowledged it. How weird that there's like an alarm that only the person sitting right there can hear. Right. Bert Stockstill, the first officer, only noticed that the plane was far lower than it should have been when he began another turn to keep the plane in a holding pattern. The voice recorder picked this up. Stockstill, we did something to the altitude. Loft, what? Stockstill, we're still at 2,000 feet, right? Loft, hey, what's happening here? Ooh. Mm. Less than 10 seconds after the exchange, the plane crashed. Upon looking at the flight data recorder and syncing it with the voice recorder, investigators noticed that when the captain instructed the flight engineer to descend into the hellhole, the autopilot was manually switched off by hitting Mm. the yoke with a small amount of force. Investigators believe that when the pilot turned around, he bumped the yoke, and the first officer never noticed because the amount of force needed to turn the autopilot off was dramatically different between the two yokes. The first officer would have needed to apply four times as much force to turn off the autopilot. The alarm that was supposed to warn the pilots of deviation from the assigned altitude only sounds at the flight engineer's seat, and since Repo was in the hellhole, no one heard it. Even though the wind, even through the windshield, the pilots wouldn't have been aware that they were close to the ground as there were no lights in the Everglades and no moonlight to reflect the water back to them. Plus, back at this point, a lot more 
area of the Everglades would be the Everglades than it is oh, now. Oh, sure. Way more. Yeah, yeah. we encroached majorly yeah. into the Everglades. Like, basically right up to the edge. But that was not the case, you know, 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. It was, they, they hadn't yet um, gotten quite that far. Um... Lost my place. Okay. NTSB reported the cause of the crash was pilot error. Specifically, quote, the failure of the flight crew to monitor the flight instruments during the final four minutes of flight and to detect an unexpected descent soon enough to prevent impact with the ground. Preoccupation with the malfunction of the nose landing gear position indicating gear position indicating system distracted the crew's attention from the instruments and allowed the descent to go unnoticed and close. Ooh, so they were just distracted by another problem. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Upon autopsy, it was also found that Captain Loth had a brain tumor in an area of the brain that controls vision. But the NTSB concluded that it was a not, that it was not a factor in the crash. How bizarre would it be to be doing an autopsy on someone and be like, Oh, this person didn't know they had a brain tumor. Yeah, right. Like, like I wonder what um, uh, medical examiners finds or coroners find that it's like, wow, if they hadn't have died of whatever it was, they would have died of this. It was going to be this. Yeah, that's weird. I'm sure it's happened more than once. Yeah, oh yes. But what about the nose landing gear? It was down the whole time. The only piece of equipment that was found to be non-operational was the $12 light bulb that was the nose landing gear indicator. It had simply burned out. Mm. So this plane crashed because of a burnt light bulb. Yeah, well... That's shitty. Ultimately, kind of. Yeah. Well, it ultimately crashed because somebody accidentally turned off the autopilot. But they wouldn't have... It, that wouldn't have happened if they hadn't gone to uh, yeah, check I mean, on the landing gear. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. The simplest things. Yeah, all those small things. Mm-hmm. True care, truth brings. The NTSB made several recommendations for flights going forward. First, they require that all cabin crews be equipped with flashlights. Okay, that's that was my recommendation. <laughs> Why they hadn't thought of this before is beyond me. Yeah, me too. Next, they required airlines to equip any jump seats, including the seats flight attendants occupy, to have shoulder harnesses. Ooh, they only had lap, I guess. Now every cockpit is outfitted with a light that will illuminate when a plane has deviated 250 feet from their designated altitude. So that light will go off pretty quick. Yeah. It doesn't take very long to uh, veer off 250 feet when you're in a plane. Mm-hmm. The major change that the NTSB made was changing pilot training to put a heavy emphasis on crew resource management. This training helps the pilot and other members, other crew members, to not focus entirely on one problem. At the time, this crash was one of the deadliest in U.S. history. A monument to honor the 101 people who died on this flight was unveiled in Miami Springs on December 29th, 2022, to commemorate the 50-year anniversary of this. That would have just been a few months ago. Mm-hmm. But EAL Flight 401's story didn't end here. Over the following years, crew members aboard EAL flights reported seeing unticketed passengers they recognized as EAL workers in uniform. However, when flight attendants would approach the passenger, the passenger would ignore them, eventually leaving their seat, never to be seen again. The fuck? 
the, I guess this is the, the ghost, ghost thing. part. Yeah. After seeing a photograph, many say that the unticketed passengers were either Don Repo, the flight engineer who spoke his last moments in the hellhole, spent his last moments in the hellhole, or Captain Robert Loft, the man who had nudged the yoke ever so slightly to cause the plane to go down. The planes these apparitions were seen on had been built with salvaged parts from EAL Flight 401. While EAL denied these sightings, they removed all EAL Flight 401 salvaged parts from their fleet. Once that was done, no one reported the sightings again. Interesting. That is. The crash of EAL Flight 401 has inspired two books and the 1978 TV movie, The Ghosts of Flight 401, which you can see on YouTube for free. It looks incredibly cheesy. Well, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine the special effects from 1978 at this point for for, for a TV movie? Uh At least three planes have crashed into the Everglades. Northwest Airlines Flight 705 in 1963, EAL Flight 401 in 1972, and ValueJet Flight 592 in 1996. Mm -hmm. And that was the story of Eastern Airlines Flight 401. Oh, wow. Okay. Short and sweet. A very quick one. Yeah. Um... Yeah, all the. Imagine like one of the last places to cr- you'd want to crash into. Yeah. But then also, it cushioning your blow so that you could survive. Right. Only to get eaten by an alligator. Uh, but it, it's. But that, that which didn't, didn't happen. happen. No, which I, is good. I know. But it didn't happen because it was witnessed. Imagine if those two guys hadn't been out on their airboat. Yeah, that's true. Then it's very possible that more people would have died. Yeah, communication technology is way different today than it was in 1972. Uh-huh. So, yeah, there would have been... <laughs> if they didn't see it, there would have been no way of finding out where they were necessarily. Not for a while. No, they would have taken um, choppers out to the Everglades. Right. Is what they would have done. And they would have found them. Yeah, I guess. But, I mean, man. I, yeah. But still. Can you imagine also being those guys out frog hunting? You see a crash and then you start hearing... Hark the herald angels yeah, sing. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be very odd. <laughs> Joy to the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm guessing they skipped over that song. So I'm <laughs> um, Man. Yeah, plane crashes suck. They sure do. For various reasons. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Many reasons. Yes, indeed. All right, short and sweet one this week. Uh, this has got to be our shortest episode <laughs> ever. <laughs> Other than our minisodes. True, this is kind of like a minisode. Yeah. yeah. But I had a, what? Oh, yep, I had a um, bunch of stuff going on this week, trying to get back into the swing of things at work. So, didn't really have a whole lot of time to work on scripts and such, but... Hopefully we'll get back into it. <laughs> One of these days. Also, yet another class started for grad school, so man, I'll be glad when that's over yes. eventually, so which I. it will be within a year. So that's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Speaking of grad school, <laughs> for for uh, Haley and uh, good luck, Haley, with your grad school um, essays. Yes, and thank you for uh, your procrastination and giving us. This, yes, uh, wonderful thank scripts. you. Yeah, so that was uh, Eastern Airlines Flight 401, again, sent in by Haley. Thank you very much. Yes. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.